Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. We began a new series entitled, How Prayer Changes Our Lives. And uh, we began by laying the groundwork, talking about the four purposes of prayer. This morning, I want to continue by talking about the conditions of answered prayer. Answered prayers have conditions. You've probably heard someone say something uh, to the effect of like, well, you know, I've tried prayer before. It didn't seem to make any difference. I never saw anything happen. So, you know, I'm just not a real big believer in prayer. And I think if all of us are completely honest with ourselves, we've probably all had times in our lives when we ourselves question the validity or the effectiveness of prayer. We've all had prayers that went up and it didn't seem like any answers came down. Who's been there? Anyone who's ever prayed has been there. And then we, t- we ask ourselves, well, man, you know, why is that? How come my prayers didn't get answered? Is, is there really anything to the whole, this whole thing about prayer? But in reality, the d- much deeper question, I think, is this. That question is, does God promise to answer everyone's prayers? I think if you survey a thousand church-going folks, most of them would say, give you kind of a resounding, oh, absolutely, yes, God promises to answer everyone's prayers. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. Don't go running for the doors till you hear me out. I think the correct answer to that question, does God promise to answer everyone's prayers? Scripturally, I think I can back this up, is a very emphatic no, he does not. It seems pretty clear to me in God's word that sometimes God completely ignores some people's prayers, including maybe our own sometimes. In fact, the Bible tells us God has laid out some conditions to having our prayers answered. And I believe you can break these down into five basic categories. That's what I want to talk about this morning. The five conditions to answered prayers. I think the Bible's pretty clear that if we will meet these five conditions of prayer, at that point, we have every right to believe our prayers are not only heard, but are going to be answered. Now, let me say this. On the other hand, if you are not meeting these conditions, your prayers probably aren't getting answered. Condition number one, as we begin to go through these five conditions of answered prayer. Condition number one is this. You must have an honest relationship with God. And we're going to talk about what that means here for a little bit. John 15, 7 says this. If you remain in me. Now, do you notice what the word that this, this promise of God begins with? If. Anytime someone starts a, a sentence with if, you know there's conditions. There is no guarantee here because whatever they're about to say, they started by saying if. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Boy, doesn't that sound like an incredible promise from God? It does sound like that because it is an incredible promise from God. However, it's not guaranteed. 
That's a great promise from God, but the, some, there's, the thing we need to know is this. Every single promise in Scripture that God has given us, every promise He's given us has at least one condition that goes along with it, and sometimes there's a few. Everyone. Now, the promise here is that I will give you whatever you ask for in prayer if you remain in me. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to answer your prayers as long as we have this honest relationship. So one question then becomes, well, how do I remain in Christ? Well, as with anything that you remain in, to remain in something, you first have to get yourself there, right? You can't remain in something that you've not already been at one point. So first, we have to get into relationship with Christ. And we remain in, in uh, relationship with Christ, by, according to this verse, by allowing His Word to remain in us. In other words, God, God's telling us, if you will fill your minds with my words to you, then I am going to remain in you. You fill your mind with my words, and we're going to have an honest relationship together. Amen? So, I will give you whatever you ask for in prayer if you remain in me. But that question is, he's saying, if you'll fill your minds with my word. Well, that's great, but we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to answer that question. What are we mostly filling our minds with? What are we mostly filling our minds with? Or do we spend a lot of our time filling our minds with God's word, reading his word, and we're just filling our minds? Does that, does that consume us? Or do, do other things tend to consume us, and that kind of gets just a little bitty speck every day, maybe not every day, maybe once a week, maybe you can't remember the last time you picked up a Bible. What are we filling our minds with? Is it uh, sports, you know, ESPN? Is it Pinterest? Is it Facebook? Video games? Or maybe things way worse than any of those. What is it we're filling our minds with? You really need to be honest with God because He already knows. You're not, you're not fooling Him. If anyone's getting fooled, then it's only yourself. God's not getting fooled. He knows exactly if He has an honest relationship with you. So God requires that we listen to Him before He's going to listen to us. Does that make sense? We're going to have to listen to him before he's going to be obligated to listen to us. If I don't pay attention to what God has to say to me in his word, he has no obligation to pay any attention to me when I talk to him. The starting point here is we have to have this honest relationship with God. And how do we do that? We have relationship with God through his word to us. That's why Reading our Bibles is important. It's how God speaks to us. Some of you may be thinking, well, are you saying that if I don't study my Bible, I will never have any prayers answered? I'm not saying that entirely, but here is what I am saying. The level of your effective prayer life is never going to be greater than your level of understanding Scripture. 
If you want a deep, meaningful prayer life, you have to have a deep, meaningful time of reading God's Word and letting it speak into your heart and into your life. The more you understand the Bible, the more you know how to pray effectively. So, before I go to the second condition of answered prayers, I want to I give you three good questions that we should ask ourselves to determine if we're having an honest relationship with God. How do I know I'm having an honest relationship with God? Well, first, ask yourself this question. Am I refusing to admit things that I have done wrong in the past or, or maybe doing right now? The, we have a word for that, unconfessed sin. Maybe it's just a, a particular activity. It could be just kind of a general attitude that you have, some habit that you have. But I would tell you, when we, ins when we insist on doing things our way in our lives, and we are going to call the shots in, in our decision-making in our life. That absolutely breaks the connection between God and us. He has no reason to communicate with us because we're calling all the shots. And when we try to cover up things in our life that we know that are wrong, that means we cease to have an honest relationship with Him. It's a false relationship. We're trying to, we know we're doing some things wrong. We try to cover it up. We have no honest relationship with God at that point. There's this falseness to our relationship. We're, we're trying to live these two different lives. One when we come to church and then one when we're just out there for ourselves. And, and it doesn't work that way. So the first thing we ask ourselves is, are we even being honest with God? And are we willing to admit things that we know that are sinful or wrong in our life and that we're willing to ask him to forgive us and to help us turn from that behavior, whatever it is. We have to do that. Listen to what Psalm 66, 18 says, and you tell me if God answers everyone's prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You think the Lord is answering prayers that he doesn't even hear? I would say no. Bottom line, we have to confess our sins to God. And confession simply means that we're going to be honest with God. We're going to admit to Him that we have done some wrong things, and then we're just going to ask Him for forgiveness and for the strength to keep doing it again. You see, the, when I was a teenager, I bet I'm the only person in this place guilty of this, so you can all point the finger at me. I grew up in church. I knew all about confessing sin. I knew about heaven and hell. I knew I did not want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But I also want to call my own shots, especially on the weekend. So on Sunday, I would always be faithful to ask God to forgive me of all my sins, basically so that I would be covered till the following weekend when on Saturday and Friday night I'd kind of do my own thing. But at least I'm covered most of the week. I'm probably the only one that ever prayed silly stuff like that, right? Thinking God's going to, boy, his grace is just over me because I've asked him to forgive me. And so he has to because I've asked him, knowing good and well, I'm probably going to do what I like to do again. That's a whole nother sermon, but it's something to think about, right? So hopefully none of you were like me when I was a teenager, thinking I was going to beat the rap, you know. As long as the Lord doesn't come back on Friday night or Saturday when I'm acting up, I'm gold, baby. 
I'll stop. So, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We have to confess our sins before God. A great way to tell, a great way to tell if we're having an honest relationship with God is that when we make a mistake, when we sin and we know we've done that, that our first reaction or our first thought is, oh God, I, I didn't mean to do that. Forgive me for doing that. I was wrong and help me not to do that. If, again, if that's our first reaction, I'm going to say you're having an honest relationship with God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But the second question you need to ask yourself in determining your level of relationship with God is this. Am I currently ignoring any of God's principles? In other words, when God tells me to do something, am I immediately obedient? You know, sometimes in our lives, we know what we're supposed to do to be obedient, but we Oh, we fight it. You know, we, we, we challenge it in our mind and in our actions and we fight against it. And then maybe, maybe ultimately we, we, we come to the decision, oh, I guess, oh, I guess I'll just be obedient. And then you do it and you, oh, you're so proud of yourself because you were obedient. You know, when you delay obedience, there's a great word. There's a great word for delayed obedience. You know what it is? Disobedience. Exactly. That's a great word for delayed obedience. And likewise, when we continue to hold on to something in our life that we absolutely know God is wanting us to let go of, that breaks our prayer chain with God. We are called to obey all of His commands. Not, we're not on the cafeteria plan, are we? Well, pick the ones you like. The ones you don't like, just leave those. You know, someone else will pick up that slack. No, we are commanded to obey all of the Lord's commands. Now, knowing that, we also, you know, uh, uh, people will think, well, how, how can I possibly always obey all of God's commands. I mean, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. How are we ever going to get any prayers answered? Here is some good news. God does not demand perfection. He only demands obedience. In your obedience, you may not be perfect. But guess what? As long as you're being obedient and you're trying to obey God's commands, God's grace covers you. He knows you're trying. And in my opinion, obedience is not so much a, a specific one-time action. Obedience in our life is a general attitude that we need to have. An attitude of obedience. And Obedience is this attitude that says, Lord, I may not always do everything exactly right, but I'm trying to. And when I do mess up, and I know that I've messed up, I will immediately turn to you, ask you to forgive me, and I will try to straighten myself out through your power. Through your power. That's the attitude of obedience. Here's a great illustration. Those of you who are parents, you'll be able to relate to this. Let's say you're eight-year-old or you're ten-year-old, whatever, in, anywhere in that age range, 12, 13. They're sitting there plastered uh, in front of the TV. 
and you walk into the room and you say, okay, now Johnny or Susie, whatever, get up to your room and I want you to clean that room up. What normally happens? You might experience obedience. You might experience delayed obedience. Or you may just experience just flat out disobedience, right? But let's say that you go up to their room 30 minutes after you've told them to go up and clean your room and you poke your head in their room and you can tell that they have been in there. They did try to clean it up. It's not great, but you can tell they tried. That's a lot different than 30 minutes later, you realize they're still sitting in front of the TV. They haven't moved a muscle. For most parents, you're going to kind of give them the credit that they tried. You know, an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old, they can only clean so well. My wife says, hey, she knows some 60-year-olds that don't clean all that well. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Sometimes I clean things, and then Janet will come along and she'll re-clean things. But I tried, you know. So there's a difference in that little uh, example right there. And, you know, as parents, hopefully none of us ever expect perfection, because we're not going to get that. But we should expect obedience, right? And that usually, that usually does it. That's just how God is with us as our Heavenly Father. He's not expecting perfection from us, just obedience. And so we need to ask of our own lives, am I hiding anything, am I trying to hide anything from God in my relationship? Which is so silly when we do that because there's nothing we can hide from God. As I said, if anyone's getting fooled, it's only ourselves. Am I doing what I know he wants me to do right now? The third question we ask is this. Do I, this is a great one, do I really even want God's will for my life? You know, we all say we want God's will for our lives, but sometimes when we are feeling what God's will for our life is, what he's wanting us to do, we really drag our feet sometimes. We're not quite sure if we really want His will for our life. We say it, but sometimes where the rubber meets the road, we don't really act like we want that. We still want to kind of call our own shots sometimes. When God's will for our life doesn't line up with what we want for our life. Man, that's tough. Ask any missionary. Missionaries that get called... Uh, overseas, or, and, and they have to sell everything they've got, sell their house, sell all their belongings, sell their cars. That's, that's, a, that's a tough choice to make. Do I really want God's will for my life? First John 5, 14 and 15 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So the key is, when we ask for things, they need to be in his will. Sometimes people think, you know, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. God's not answering my prayers. What have you been praying for? 
well, I've been buying lottery tickets for 10 years. I shell out a bunch of money every week. I keep praying, God, let me hit that lottery. Oh, I can do so much good with that. And, and uh, it's just not happening. It's not God's will. God's will for most people is that if you run into a bunch of money, you'd probably just ruin yourself. Probably couldn't handle it. We see it happen every day over and over where people run into a bunch of money and then they just ruin themselves. So if you've been praying and praying and praying for God to do this or God to do that in your life and it's not happening, chances are very good what you're praying for is not God's will for your life. You're kind of asking these things perhaps out of more of a selfish heart. God, do this for me. When we ask according to God's will, we can be completely confident that God hears us and is going to answer us. We just need to be willing to accept the answer, right? Sometimes we formulate in our heads what we think the answer should be ahead of time, and then we're not quite willing to accept God's answer for our life because sometimes we know so much better. We, we know what's better for ourselves, right? That's how we act sometimes. One of the easiest ways to know if you really want God's will for your life is to gauge how eager you are to read your Bible. The only way we ever really know God's will for our life is through reading His Word because God speaks to us through His Word. So, I'll say it again. Great way to know if you really want God's will for your life is gauge your eagerness to read His Word. All right, so the first condition to answered prayer is having this honest relationship with God. Here's the second condition to having our prayers answered. You must have a forgiving attitude toward people. How many of you, it didn't take you long to figure out some people are easy to forgive, some people are next to impossible to forgive in our life. Is it God, I just, I can't forgive this person. You know, we've probably all had experiences in our life where forgiveness was just, it just seemed almost impossible to us. And the truth is this, you've probably had experience where forgiveness is going to be impossible on your own. You need God's strength and His love and forgiveness in your life to be able to offer that forgiveness to anyone else. If it's not there, you can't give it to someone else. It's going to be impossible. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I have noticed in my life's journey that one of the uh, number one characteristics that is connected to prayer is forgiveness. Over and over again, almost every time that Jesus spoke about prayer, he also talked about forgiveness. And I think that is because nothing will kill our prayers faster than resentment and unforgiveness. When we hold a grudge against someone or we allow bitterness or hatred to grow in our life, what we, what we do in effect is we just shut the prayer valve completely off. Nothing goes up, nothing goes down. 
And the reason is the Bible says that you can't love God and harbor hate toward your brother. And yet, sometimes we love to act like we love God. We like to try to convince ourselves that we love God, even though there's somebody we absolutely cannot stand. Now, I'm sure that's nobody at our church, but they're out there, let me tell you. We come into church, oh, we want to act loving, we, we want to act like we love God, but there's somebody that we absolutely cannot stand. And so when you read this verse, boy, it puts it in perspective. You might be fooling yourself, but the truth is you cannot love God and harbor hatred towards somebody else. And that makes life rough, doesn't it? I'm just going to tell you, it makes life rough. Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer as an example to the disciples. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he gave them this example. And right in the middle, right smack in the middle of that prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And sometimes it's fairly easy, and sometimes it's just really, really tough. And what we're saying is, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me to that same extent that I'm willing to forgive other people. That's the truth of the matter. And I will say this. I mentioned this in first service. Uh, we all have our own life experiences. You know, and you've heard me share this story before. When my sister was 21, she was a few years older than me, and she was just a beautiful Christian. I just, you know, I'm not fluffing it up because she's my sister. I'm just telling you, just one of the godliest people I've ever experienced in my life. In fact, she was going, she left to offer Christian counseling to this guy, and he strangled her to death. And for a long time, I tell you, I couldn't get past the unforgiveness. I tried to convince myself I was forgiving, forgiving, but I would say it with my mouth, and in my heart I knew if that guy fell over dead, I would probably dance in the street. That's how I felt inside. And in doing that, I also believe I had kind of stepped out from under God's grace. Yes, this guy, he did something horrible to our family, but I can't get past this thing. It's impossible to love God if you harbor hate towards someone. Well, I, well, that probably just means, you know, when, you know, bad things happen to other people. You know, God will understand what's happened to me, and so I think I can get an exemption from this. You ever felt that way before? See, that's when it gets tough, isn't it? And I'll tell you, in and of yourself, you will all experience times in your life where it is absolutely impossible for you to forgive someone. I'm just telling you right now. You will not be able to do it on your own. Impossible. Only by allowing God to work through you and to show you the love that it's going to take and the forgiveness and the level of forgiveness, are you ever going to be able to extend that to anyone else? I throw that in for free this morning. So, 
The Bible teaches us, here's even disharmony in our homes can hinder our prayers. The Bible tells us that, speaking to us husbands here, that how we treat our wives will influence our prayer life. I hate this portion of Scripture right here. <laughs> how many of you got those portions of Scripture? Man, I wish that wasn't in there. Make my life so much easier. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be hindered. Man, that's a lot of pressure right there. We're not treating our wives as we should. Messes up our prayer life. Right there in black and white. So that's some, pretty, that's some pretty strong words, but I mean, those of us that have been married, how many of you will agree that when there's tension and there's some unresolved conflict in the home, it is difficult to pray? It just makes it tough, doesn't it? I mean, you're arguing and fussing with each other and all of a sudden uh, it's time to pray? I don't think so. Or sometimes we pray, oh, Lord, I tell you, I'm in such a conflict. You need to just show her that I am right. <laughs> Lord, let her see that I am right and she is wrong. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, anyone prayed one of those before? Because we know we're right, you know. So, I mean, why pray for anything else but that the Lord would show her how incredibly right we are? Never works that way, does it? Man, as soon as you start to pray, inevitably God shows you that you are not in the right. You may be in the right over some trivial matter, but you're not right in how you're treating your spouse. Now, that's a whole other uh, sermon, so I'm just going to move on here right now. <laughs> Man. We have to have an honest relationship with God. We have to be forgiving towards other people. And the third condition for answered prayers is we have to be willing to share the results. The principle is we sow what we reap, right? Give and it will be given unto you. It's the principle of generosity. The more we give, the more God gives to us. If you expect God to bless you, you have to be willing to bless other people. That's just how it works. It's a basic principle of the kingdom. If we don't pay attention to the needs of others, God is under no obligation to pay attention to us. One of the greatest ways that we can show that we have the love for God in our life is simply to be generous in the world around us. God blesses us. The only reason God blesses us is that so we can share that blessing with others. It's the principle of stewardship. It, it's woven all through the Bible. We as Christians, we are a, a channel that could, to be used of God any way that we should be. We should never expect God to bless our finances if we're not even willing to give back to Him just that small portion, that 10% that He has commanded us. He is under no obligation. In James 4.3, we learn another reason why our prayers are sometimes hindered. Listen to this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
How many times have we been guilty of praying for something that we, oh, we want it so bad? Why do we want it? Because we want it for us. Oh, Lord, I, get me this thing. And he knows full well, if I give you that, you're not going to share that with anybody. You're just going to use it out of your own selfishness. God is never interested in satisfying our selfishness. So if you've been praying for that new BMW and it's just not happening, you need to kind of step back and take a look at the motive or fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is. We have to be willing to share our blessings from God or the blessings, I'm telling you, are going to stop if we're keeping them all for ourselves. I love this story, and you ought to Google this and read up on this man. An incredible story, the story of R.G. Letourneau. Let me see your hand if you've ever heard the name R.G. Letourneau. I'm just curious. It's just us old folks. R.G. Letourneau was the father of earth-moving equipment, a predecessor to Caterpillar Tractor Company. The R.G. Letourneau Company was uh, very uh, heavily involved in us winning World War II because of earth-moving equipment. He never graduated from high school, but he was this engineering genius, and he invented all sorts of earth-moving equipment and improvements upon those, and he was a very devout Christian also. In fact, he operated on the principle of I'm going to tithe 90% in my life, and I'm going to live on 10%. He turned it around. Now, R.G. Letourneau, uh, his company was very big in the 40s, 50s, and even into the 60s. And one of his major plants was in my hometown of Peoria, Illinois. In fact, a story that I used to love to hear my grandfather, grandfather talk about was uh, during the Depression Every day, there'd be a line up to the, the, uh, the door of, of the Letourneau company the, the, where they did the hiring. It'd be two to three blocks long. Guys would just go there, get in line, and just wait for that door to open up. And rarely did the door open up. And one day, my grandfather, he marched down there, and he was back in the back of the line. He said, well, this is ridiculous. I haven't seen that door open one time. And so he just decided to march to the front of the line he opened, turned the doorknob, it was unlocked, and he just walked right in. He said he sat down in a chair for a moment in the receptionist's office, and pretty soon a bald-headed guy came out of an office and said, well, who are you, young man? Told him who he was. He said, what are you, he says, uh, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for a job. He says, you are. What do you know about earth-moving equipment? He said, absolutely nothing, but I'm a quick learner. He said, come into my office. Then my grandfather found out he was talking to R.G. Letourneau himself. He got hired that day and became a, a general foreman in, in, out in the plant and for many, many years. But R.G. Letourneau, you ought, to, you ought to Google that. It's a very interesting story. And right, right there in Wikipedia, it even mentions that he made a principle in his life to tithe 90% and live on 10%. Multi-millionaire. Now, you know what a lot of people say when they read this story? They say, well, you know, here's the deal. If I was a multimillionaire, I could live, I, I'd be happy to tithe 90% and live on 10%. But here's the difference. He was doing it before he was a millionaire. That's the difference between him and most of us. We always try to make the conditions. Lord, if you'll make me a multimillionaire, I'll do all this kind of stuff. You have to, you have to do it before. 
He was doing it before it happened. And the blessing, he realized, man, he can't outgive God. And it just kept pouring back into his life. We have to be generous with our blessings from God for him to hear our prayers. Here's the fourth condition. You have to believe God's going to answer. The truth is that the only kinds of prayers that God answers are prayers of faith. Mark 9, 29. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. We're talking about the single most important aspect of Christianity. Faith, right? Everything we do is built on faith. Without faith, there's no Christianity. Without Christianity, there is no need for prayer. Faith is believing God's word. Faith is believing that God will move in our life. A lot of times I hear people say, well, you know what? I believe God can do that. And, and sometimes we think, people think, well, what a great statement of faith. That's not a statement of faith. Just believing that God can do it is not a statement of faith, really. Maybe this rattles uh, your doctrinal cage, but I'll go ahead and say it. Just because someone believes that God can do something is not necessarily this great sign of faith, and here's why. God can do anything he wants, whether we believe he can or not. Makes no, he's not going to do, it doesn't enable God to do something simply because we believe he can. He can do it whether we believe it or not. Faith is believing God is going to do something. He will do something. Not that he simply can do something. Faith is not desire. Some people think, well, I've got this tremendous desire for God to do this or do that or whatever, fill in the blank. Desire in and of itself is not faith. Desire can lead us to faith, but it is not faith in and of itself. You know, you've heard me say before, there's a lot of people who just fall over dead or faint if God actually answered their prayers because half the time when they pray them, they don't really think anything's going to happen. And maybe God thinks, well, if they don't really believe that I'm going to do something, I guess I just won't. And I think a lot of times we miss out on a lot of the miraculous in our lives because we expect so little of the miraculous. Now, am I preaching some kind of name it, claim it, doctrine? No, I'm not saying, I'm not preaching that. But I'm saying that we have to have faith. If we're praying in God's will, you can have an assurance and faith to know that God is going to move in your life. There's going to be an answer to that prayer. It may be the answer you're looking for. It might be the answer you weren't looking for, but it's an answer nonetheless. He will hear you and he will answer. But too often, we believe that it could happen. We're just not really looking for it to happen. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. And finally, I'll wrap this thing up. The fifth condition for God to answer our prayers, you have to pray in Jesus' name. That sounds a little remedial, doesn't it? You know, last week, a uh, week before last, we read John 14, 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Again, that's one of those verses we like to read thinking it's our big blank check. But we have to pray in Jesus' name. I think there's a lot of people who think, well, I know Jesus is special, but what's so special about his name? And I will tell you that for a portion of my younger life, I didn't really know what was so incredibly special about the name of Jesus. I mean, I grew up in church all my life. I had heard people pray a thousand times, and always at the end, there would be, 
in Jesus' name, amen. I just kind of thought it was a nice spiritual way of signing off. That's how we kind of wrap it up. You know, you know it's wrapped up. In Jesus' name, it's like the CB guy, 10-4, good buddy, it's over, you know. Or, or you remember Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is. Who remembers that? Only us old people, yeah. Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is. But the question becomes, what does it actually mean to pray in Jesus' name? Here's a story I came across that I thought was a great illustration. A father took his young son and about a dozen of his son's good friends to an amusement park for his 10th birthday. The father bought this big roll of ride tickets, and he would stand at the front of every ride and hand his son and each one of his friends a ticket as they would come to the front of the line to get on the ride. After they had been on a few rides, he looked down as he was handing out the tickets, and he realized that there was a little kid with his hand held out in line that he had never seen in his life. He stopped and said, young man, are you with my son's party? The kid said, no, not really. He said, then why should I give you a ticket? And the young boy turned around and pointed to the guy's son and said, well, your son said you'd give me one. So he gave him one. That's a sermon right there. Neither you nor myself have any special right to get our prayers answered by God. What makes us think that we should just get our prayers answered on our own merit. If I offer up a prayer, Dear Heavenly Father, I want you to do this for me because I am such a great guy. Not going to happen, right? God doesn't owe me anything. I owe Him everything. When I come before God with a request, I better not be coming on my merit. But sometimes we do that. Oh, we've done something, you know, we think we're so good. Oh, Lord, I went out, I, I fed the hungry today. I, I helped a little old lady across the street. I've just been so good. Here's what I'd like you to do for me. We, have, we cannot come before God on our own merit. When I come before God, it needs to be on the merit of Jesus, his son. And I, I say, I come before God saying, God, I'm coming to you because your son Jesus told me that I could. And I'm coming to you in his name, not mine. Jesus is that bridge between God and man. He said, I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except by me, right? When we come to God and we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying, God, I realize you have no reason to even pay attention to me, but I'm coming before you in the name of your Son and because of what he's done for me. Now, am I saying, without exception, every prayer you always pray should end with, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not saying that. God knows the attitude of your heart, but I also don't think it's a bad idea. Because it reminds us of why we even have the right to come before God in the first place. It's a great reminder of the fact that we're praying on the merit of what Jesus did for us, not because of anything we have done. We pray to God the Father through Jesus, His Son. If you ever feel like your prayers aren't getting answered, you need to stop, do a quick self-evaluation. Make sure that uh, you're not slipping up and meeting some of these conditions. Maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody or there's somebody you've got some bitterness toward that's going to mess up your prayer life. Maybe you've been refusing to admit some 
wrong doing in your own life. Maybe you pray, but you never really expect God to do anything. Maybe you haven't been willing to be generous to others and you've not been giving back to God. Maybe you just haven't really been abiding in Him. Maybe you can't remember the last time you picked up your Bible to read His Word. The bottom line is this. You can't pray in Jesus' name unless you have a relationship with Him. You have to know Him as Lord and Savior and as friend. And only you can answer the question, do I have an honest relationship with Jesus? You're the only one that can answer that honestly. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about membership like we just had this morning. I'm not talking about being or acting real religious. I'm talking about a relationship where you know Jesus on a personal level and you communicate with him and you let him communicate to you through his word. You know, if you don't have that in your life, it's so, it's a very simple prayer that brings it into your life. Doesn't have to be fancy. The words aren't even as important as the attitude of our hearts. We just tell God, God, I realize I need you in my life. I've been trying to do things my own way, but I want to put you in charge. Forgive me of things I've done wrong, of my sins. I believe you're going to forgive me. Thank you for loving me and help me be who you want me to be and just come into my life in Jesus' name. Some of you might be thinking to yourself this morning, you know, I know I'm a Christian, but I haven't been doing a real good job of maybe meeting all of these conditions of prayer in my life. And it feels like my prayers aren't getting answered. Today, make a commitment to recommit your life to Jesus. Say, I want to have a life of, of forgiveness. Allow me to forgive those in my life, even who don't deserve forgiveness, who I feel don't deserve it. Let me be willing to forgive. Lord, give me a life of generosity toward others. We can all pray a prayer like, Lord, thank you for your word that speaks so practically and relevant into my life. Thank you that prayer is not some big mystery, Lord Jesus, that we can't understand, but that we realize is just a simple way to communicate with you. Thank you for that privilege of prayer. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.